Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by New Beginnings, possibly New Endings, the start of New Endings. We are going to talk about the rough, rough warrior season that has been dropped upon us. And then, then we're going to talk about all the big changes with the Giants. Oh yeah, they finally have a GM and a new manager. It is in the books and we are off and running. Today, returning once again, our favorite esteemed co-host, Candlestick Wills in the building. We're going to get in. Before we get started, why don't you let them know, Ray, where can they find us? You can like us on Facebook.com slash The Goldcast, and you can also follow us on Twitter at The underscore Goldcast. And don't forget to subscribe to us via iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same moniker of The Goldcast. Be sure to leave a comment, too. That way, if you have some thoughts, we can certainly interact with you, and we'd love to do that. So stick around. Get notified. Oh, yeah. The comment section on YouTube has been fire. Fire. All right. Raymond, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter at RaySolice and Instagram at RaySolice1. Candlestick Will, where can they find you? Just go to Twitter at Candlestick Will. Yeah, and you can find me on Instagram at RudySolice3 and Twitter at RudySolice3RD. Here we go. We are all here. The entire crew, the Goldcast crew is back. We are here. Class in session. Let's go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host, Raymond Salisa First, baby, and our esteemed co-host, Candle Stick Will. Boom! Yes, let's go. All right, guys, let's. Uh, Man, there's so much to catch up on. Welcome back, Candlestick Will. It's been a long time. How have you been, my friend? I'm doing good. I'm doing a lot better than all the teams in San Francisco this week. Hundred percent, hundred percent. We missed you. We're glad you're. We're glad you're back on. It was a, it was a funky funky week there with the holiday, Halloween. But you are back, and we are here. Let's first start with our Golden State Warriors. Holy moly. I actually, I think this is actually a real good thing for the long-term success, but we are now, have only won two games this entire season. We have lost four in a row uh, for a total of, what is this, eight, nine, nine, nine losses. We are two and nine. The mighty Golden State Warriors, the unstoppable machine, the greatest team ever assembled in the modern era. Uh, the empire has certainly crumbled for the time being. I, this isn't a, this isn't a long-term crumble, but here we are. And Candlestick Will, I want to give you the floor, my friend. It's been a while. I want to hear from you. Where are you at with this season? How do you feel about it? I, I think the kids are kind of scrappy, to be honest. And I actually think this is might be the best uh, medicine for them going through this first rough season. But I want to hear your thoughts on the state of the Golden State Warriors, the fall of the empire. Well, I think uh, one of the things, the, the one positive was that Portland Trailblazers game. And yes. seeing, seeing just some life in the arena, life in the, in the team, literally nobody on the floor 
that was supposed to be winning games and they found a way to win. It was very reminiscent of Oracle Arena when the Warriors were awful and they would win 20 games a year, but they'd find a way to beat a few playoff teams because that's the NBA and, you know, you always try to take it a little easier against teams that are hurting and don't have their their best players. Um, and, you know, I think it's in some ways this is uh, the basketball gods saying, okay, you want to leave Oracle? Okay, we're going to give you um, an Oracle season to start off Chase Center and, you know, get the real fans in the Bay Area to be able to afford tickets to Chase Center the first year. Because um, obviously people are, gonna, are having to sell off their, their tickets with no, with no Steph, no Clay um, for part of the season, no Draymond and, and D'Angelo Russell either. So it's been brutal. I saw a stat that 14 of the 16 guys they brought into camp have been hurt this year. Um, so it's, it's not just Clay. It's not just Steph. You know, the losses of DeMarcus Cousins, Kevin Durant, Andre Godalas, John Livingston, you know, the list goes on and on. It's just so much turnover. This this year was going to be rough, kind of no matter what. We were a little bit optimistic, I think, um, when we did our preview show, and thought that you know this could still be a you know forty plus, maybe even fifty win team if everything you know falls into place, and if if Steph has a MVP caliber season. But you know, just the the injuries just mounted up too much and. And uh, and it's, it's so much turnover, you know, it's even if Steph had played amazing, you know, we saw in those first few games before he got hurt that he just doesn't have the teammates he once did. So trying to run the same offense without, you know, competent players around him, um, kids like Jordan Poole and Eric Pascal and and uh, Glenn Robinson, the third and Alec Burks. I mean, all these guys are guys who may be on a roster in the NBA on a few different teams, but these warrior teams of the past wouldn't have had any of them, you know, Pascal is the one maybe exception. And, uh, and so it's just, it's just, it's, it's just, and like I said, it's kind of fitting that, you know, this team is, is so bad because it's, you know, like I said, it's reminiscent of the Oracle teams, you know, of the uh, late nineties, early two thousands when they were just God awful. Um, but to your point that you kind of alluded to with uh, the idea that it might be temporary, you know, next year you would have Steph, Clay, Draymond, D'Angelo Russell, all in their prime, all coming back next year. You're now going to be guaranteed to have a first round pick because it won't be in the bottom of the first round um, and have to give to Brooklyn. So you have a first round pick might might be a lottery pick, might be a top, you know, top three or four pick um, the way th- this season's looking. You have the 17 million dollar trade exemption. Uh, that you can use from Andre Godala's release. And you can also use the mid-level, which they might use to get Andre Godala back. So what is a really bleak-looking team right now could look very much like a playoff team next year um, just by simply getting our guys back. Okay, I want to comment on that. So, uh, you know, when I look into my crystal basketball, Ruth Sardamas III... This is what I see. When Rootsardamus looks into his crystal basketball, this is what I see in the future for us, Candlestick Will. I see a team that really is, without trying, it may end up, you know, as you were saying, you know, maybe bottom eight in the league, giving us a chance at a really high lottery draft pick. I see us 
picking up someone relevant that could maybe not maybe maybe make even an immediate impact on this team. I'm not sure if as a starter, but maybe as as a bench player. And then here's what else happens. As you already mentioned, we get everyone back, right? We get Clay, we get Steph, we get Dre. D'Angelo continues to develop. But here's the kicker. Not only do we get that high draft pick, we get that lottery pick that enables us to get a player that we'd have no business getting any other year. But then, at the end of this year, there's going to be somebody. Hopefully, it's a forward. It's some disgruntled power forward that some superstar from one of these teams that is, as per the usual, real, just completely over whatever team he's on, and he's going to decide that he wants to sign with the Golden State Warriors. And then we're going to have a brand new, brand new uh, um, big five, big four, whatever this version's going to be. And that team, I'm not saying that team is going to li- necessarily lift up the Larry, Larry O'Brien next year, but I have a strong feeling, I just knowing the NBA, the modern NBA, somebody, somebody at the by, by come this summer is going to be in a real bad mood. Some superstar is going to be like, I hate my effing team. I want nothing to do with these guys. I either want to get traded or I am not renewing my contract. And then that, then the Warriors are going to come knocking and they're going to say, hey, why don't you come over here? Let's go, let's go take out the Clippers. Let's go challenge the Lakers. Let's put this thing together with you as our new big piece. Join Steph, Clay, Dre, this crazy, awesome new rookie that we have. And let's go, let's, let's make another run at this title. And that guy's going to go, you know what? I'm in. That's, that is my prediction. That is what I'm seeing in my crystal basketball. That is what I believe is going to happen. What do you think about that candlestick, Will? And then Raymond, I want you to hear, I want to hear what you think about this as well. But candlestick, Will, what do you think about that? Well, I think it's realistic. Um, I don't know. When I was looking at, you know, I haven't done this in like five years because the Warriors have been so good. I haven't had to care what other players, you know, who, what other players' contracts were and where where we were would, would be in the lottery. And, you know, I haven't even had to pay attention to college basketball um, the last five years. So in just kind of looking around, you know, the trade exemption is is only going to work if we have a guy who's making less than 17 million because that's what Andre Godala makes. Um, and they have to be on a contract that's not an expiring because if they're a free agent, then th- that doesn't count as a trade exemption. So looking at guys who have two years left on their contract, one of the guys I saw that I think would actually be a good fit for the Warriors is J.J. Redick. He's making a little bit less than 17 um, on a two-year deal with the Pelicans. Pelicans are terrible. Williamson's out for a while. Going to, they're, they're not going to be as good as people think they are. Um, when they go into next year, they're going to also have to deal with trying to re-sign Brandon Ingram. So in re- trying to re-sign Brandon Ingram and probably wanting to stay under the, the luxury tax, they'll be willing to give up Redick, I think, for a trade exemption um, and use that, be able to use that money for Ingram. So I think that would be a guy um, that could be a good fit. Marcus Smart's another guy that, because Boston's going to have to pay Jason Tatum, he could be another fit of a guy who can come in and be a guard coming off the bench that could really help us in the playoffs. You know, Reddick's very fearless when he, when he, he's in the game in the playoff atmosphere, he's not afraid to take a big shot. Marcus smarts the same way with a you know, great defense in his case. So to me, one of those two guys might be the right, the right ad for that trade exemption. 
And then, like I said, Andre Godala could very easily come back um, at the mid-level. And if you do that, then you, know, you have a t- you have a starting lineup next year of Curry, Russell, Clay, Draymond, and Kevin and Kevon Looney. And then you'd have a, a rotation um, with Redick, Iguodala, and Pascal, you know, already in place. And then you have your first round pick. And you know, it could be this kid Wiseman in Memphis. It could be a kid like Cole Anthony, who's you know apparently the, the one of the best point guards in the draft. Um, that even though you have Russell and Curry, you know, you just if you just take the best player. Um, you can kind of let the pieces fall after that. Um, or like you said, go after a big, you know, they can always get someone like a Robin Lopez with a vet minimum, you know, at that point, if they want to get a big, they can bring, they could probably bring back Collie Stein or, or Marquise Chris for a, a vet minimum contract. So, you know, they're going to suddenly be a team where the players that are currently playing right now, maybe only three of them are even in the rotation next year um, because it'll be like, you know, uh, Russell Green and, and Pascal might be the only guys actually getting any playing time next year. So it, it could look like a very different team that is still relatively young because Curry, Clay, and um, Draymond are all still at, you know in the middle of their primes. Kevon Looney's young, D'Angelo Russell, D'Angelo Russell's young. So even going after someone like a Redick or a Smart or going or re, or going after Iguodala again, even though those are veteran guys that's also what a playoff team needs. So I, I look at it like that could be a way of kind of, um, you know, fast forwarding the, 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 you know, quote unquote rebuild um, because I just think it's more about kind of a, a reload um, with this one year off the the best, the best thing in a silver lining way of what's going on now is that Curry and clay have played five straight years of playoff games. They need the rest, you know, Draymond green's not going to, play 82 games this year he you know might have some load management games um and be more of a coach on the sidelines um it sounds like that's kind of what he's doing at practice is is trying to be a leader and help these guys learn but you know amari spellman's not a long-term answer for this team you know alec burks is a guy who they probably will trade uh mid-season because he's he should be a rotation piece on a playoff team you know a guy who can get buckets um he's certainly doing a a good job of being a, a, a good veteran piece for this young Warriors team. But, you know, he's not, uh, a, you know, a deal breaker in any kind of a move. I mean, th- he's not a guy that they um, they have to keep. You know, even someone like Collie Stein might be someone they move if a playoff team is interested. Um, but, you know, this, it's, just, it's just a team full of guys who are getting a chance. You know, it's kind of, and like I said, that Portland Trailblazers game was fun because guys like Kai Bowman, who no one's ever heard of, you know, gets to – um, have a, a big night and people remember his, his night and obviously Pascal did what he did. So Raymond, what do you think, what are your thoughts on this season? Do you see this season as really honestly, you know, the worse we are, the better it might end up being for this team in the long run in terms of draft position and then rebounding in the summer. What do you think about that? I think it's totally within I think it's totally plausible um, with with the trajectory they're going at right now. I mean, they look really bad, and it's <laughs> it's. I didn't think it would be this bad, but once Curry went down and Draymond was dealing with an injury, I was like, oh, you know, these guys, the the rookies are going to get a lot. You know, the, the good news is the rookies are going to get a lot of playing time. And Eric Pascal, I've I like Eric Pascal. I think he's played well given the circumstances and. He's 
you know, under that coaching staff, he's only going to get better. And he was the one draft pick I saw that really kind of had me intrigued because he's like, he could be a Draymond that can score if he really taps into his ceiling. You know, whether he reaches that ceiling or not, you know, remains to be seen. But so far, he's been putting up points. And D'Angelo Russell is, <laughs> he's, um, he's, he's great at scoring. And that's about it. He, he, he puts so much energy into scoring and dribbling the ball that he's got nothing left for transition defense at all. So it's no wonder that he's a one trick pony, you know, whether, and, and with the way the Warriors are constantly playing from backup, you know, he's not going to be really too encouraged to work on anything other than his scoring ability. And by the time Curry and Clay get back and are able to, get into rhythm with Draymond, you know, I think the season's going to be probably too far out of reach just because it's basketball takes, even though it's five guys, it's smaller, you know, it requires less, less team cooperation than say baseball or football for that matter. But it still takes time with that length of season to really gel no matter what system you're running. And, the Warriors run, you know, one of the more balanced systems in terms of ball distribution and sh- you know, shot opportunities. It's really designed to be spread around the floor so that you don't know, you know, you can't double team guys. And if you do, then you leave another guy open who's still capable of making the shot. We don't necessarily have that squad this time around. It's really going to, to me, the scoring's going to come from Russell and Pascal right now. And Pascal has proven that he's got the ability to put points on the board. That'll, of course, change once the starting roster gets its three All-Stars back together on the same court. But as far as next season goes, yeah, I think that's that'll be great. You know, the, the Warriors seem to do a pretty good job of drafting, for the most part, obviously, with, with the three complete, you know, grand slams with Curry, Clay, and Draymond. And some of the other guys have been great. I think Kavon Looney's great, despite the the, the hip issue. I, I didn't think he would actually make it back from that, but the fact that he did and was able to play at play high level defense the way he does, I thought was definitely a testament to the coach's ability and and their ability to evaluate talent and get some good quality guys in here, despite what kind of injury baggage they might be bringing with them. But as far as you know, your take on the draft thing, I mean. It's a long season, so it's like, you know, we got to have something to look forward to. I, I suppose at this point it should be a high draft pick. High draft pick, free agent, or big free agent signing or trade. Again, same thing as you, Candlestick Will. I don't really know the landscape. I don't know what contracts are coming up in the summer. But as we've seen in the modern NBA, it doesn't matter what your contract is. If someone wants to get out, you know you know what player I, I would I want – I want this kind of player, but I just it's just one guard too many on the Warriors. But I would want someone that has like the the fire and the grit like a Victor Oladipo. That's the kind of guy that the Warriors need. Some guy that is just he's just so hungry. He's gone through such a metamorphosis to create the body that he has and and to create to, to put himself at the level that he has. You know, unfortunately, he's had a couple injuries that have really hampered his uh, his ability to take the Pacers to the next level. But that's the kind of guy that when I when I think of who the Warriors need to add to this team, 
maybe not him specifically. Again, it's just a one guard, possibly too many. But Victor Oladipo is the the psychological makeup of the player that I think if they added that guy conceptually, they found they found a guy with that kind of drive at forward, you know, um, maybe even center. I don't even know who that would be. I can't even think of who that would be. But but at forward, if they had someone like that that just had just just so much grit and grind and and was willing to go to the levels Victor Oladipo has gone in the last couple of years to really elevate his his level both physically, mentally, uh, as a player, and physically and technically, uh, not only as a as not only physically in terms of the um, the metamorphosis his body's gone through, but also just uh, at his ability and level of play as a basketball player. That's the kind of guy that the Warriors, I would love the Warriors to grab in the summer. Someone like a Victor Oladipo, but probably at forward. Uh, what do you think about that candlestick, Will? Yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways they have that in Russell. Um, you know, I know they're they're different players, but, you know, Russell's been on three teams now. He's He chose the Warriors over the Timberwolves and other teams that were interested in him when uh, Brooklyn was looking to move him. So he, I think he is, you know, pretty hungry um, to be kind of what you're, what you were kind of describing with him. You know, a guy like a Bradley Beal was someone I think every playoff team was kind of hoping would, would fall to them in the, in that vein of a, a team that was struggling that might look to move guys um, to kind of restart, you know, the, the Pacers because Oladipo has been hurt a couple times and, they haven't really been able to get out of their own way with injuries. You know, they might decide to hit the reset button. You know, teams are always, you know, one big trade away from doing that. Um, so, you know, if they struggle this year, maybe they do something like that. Um, you know, obviously he's their, he's their franchise player at the moment. Um, but, you know, there's always going to be guys like that. You know, Kevin Love is playing for Cleveland in a situation where he's not going to win for the next several years. You know, maybe he's someone that is all of a sudden on the, on the table. Um, you know, some of the guys with bigger contracts, we wouldn't necessarily match up well unless we did give up Russell. But if we give up Russell for a guy who could also be an all-star, then it might be a, depending on the player, it might be a better fit for, you know, our three main guys with, you know, with Draymond, Steph and Clay. So yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that at least Curry, if not Curry and Clay, but at least Curry can come back, um, sometime this year so that him and Russell can get a second chance to you know, kind of work together. Um, I think, you know, the, the idea that uh, someone as inept as Rick Buecher could suggest that um, Steph Curry is going to sit out the year because what's the point of coming back is just shows his um, ineptitude as a reporter um, because of course you'd want to come back to get some momentum going into the next year to practice at game speed with the best player in, on the team right now in Russell. And can you guys coexist or would it be, you know, another, you know, Steph and Monte kind of situation where it's two guys that are too similar to each other and it actually would be a better fit to move Russell for someone else. That's the question. And, you know, sometimes people forget. I know I, I hear I hear what you're saying, Candlestick Will. Sometimes people forget that these guys love to play. And, you know, Kyle Shanahan loves to point this out all the time. Like it's one of the differences between basketball and football, for instance. These guys play all year long. You know, in in the summer they go around and they they play they play each other all 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 summer all over the place all different spots New York Los Angeles I mean these guys love to play and it's not like 
you know, good or bad, win or lose, these guys love to play basketball, man. They hoop. They're hoopers. That's just what they do. And so I think sometimes people take that for granted. And they go, oh, well, you know, he should just sit out the rest of the season and da-da-da-da. It's like, but that that's not in these guys' DNA. They want to be out there. This is what they're for. You've got a limited time as an athlete. I mean, if I was a pro athlete, I'd want to play every time. I don't care. I just want to get back out there. I also believe, I, I also believe that no matter how bad this team is, that Steph Curry believes his return would make an immediate impact. And if D'Angelo Russell can get his licks in and really kind of continue to uh, to play the way he's been playing pretty well, and if Curry come back out there, there's no reason they can't have a nice little run at the end, at least end, end the season with some dignity. That's completely in play. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's uh, um, you know out of bounds at all. Ray, what do you think about the idea of uh, of there being like a Victor Oladipo like player on the Warriors? What do you think about that? I think we great. Question is, who is he, and can we get him? Can we either get him through free agency or not literally, but a a call a similar player? You know, I know I know. Candlestick will mention that Russ is kind of on that same vein, and I I have to agree there. Yeah, but can I we too. can we bring up somebody through the farm that has that kind of potential to grow into that player too? You know, I don't know because I a I don't follow the Santa Cruz Warriors and I don't follow NCAA basketball enough to really kind of tell you who's out there that could, you know, be worth a look. We'll just kind of have to wait and see. But well, um, I'm thinking think more sure across the landscape from from or you know from you know you know Victor Oladipo's you know he's he's the superstar from the Pacers. I'm I'm talking another superstar from another team. I'm not necessarily talking about college or or from you know the our our D League. Well, we are getting Giannis in two years, right? So, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for sure, for sure, he's he's definitely joining us. All right, guys, let's move on because hot takes have abounded. We have Farhan Zaidi has put together his crew for the future. So here we go. First, the first hire was Scott Harris, is our new general manager, former director of player operations for the Cubs. He was this, he was uh, promoted assistant GM in twenty eighteen, and is now the general manager of the Giants. Dad grew up a Giants uh, Cubs fan. Mom grew up a Giants fan. And then the much more controversial pick, Mister Gabe Kapler. This one came in at a lot at a lot more of a controversial this is a lot more controversial uh candlestick well why don't you break down for the people what was so controversial about gabe kapler sorry it took me a second i was vomiting in the corner when you said his name um <laughs> so the uh you know the I don't know, the crib notes version or whatever, um, try to make this as simple as possible. But in 2015, when he was in charge of the minor league system with the Dodgers, there was incidents with a 17 year old girl getting sexually assaulted and two players were involved. And there's, you know, conflicting reports as there always are with what went what what went down and and what happened um from some reports including uh terry francona's son who worked for the dodgers at the time um and wrote a piece in the washington post about his his memories of the situation um there was a suggestion that there was hush money offered to the family to not go after uh the players um it's also been reported that 
the family did not want to file a police report. So, you know, there's with with conflicting reports, it's kind of, you know, what's the source? Who's saying it? Why? How are they saying it? Why are they saying it? Is there a reason? It sounds like from Francona's point of view, who was someone, you know, in the in the in the know in that um, at that time, um, he was under the impression that Major League Baseball and the Dodgers were kind of trying to sweep it under the rug and not make it a big deal. And anytime someone's um, assaulted, it's a big deal. Anytime it's a young female, it's even more of a big deal. And when they're underage, it's even more of a big deal. So the 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 number of different red flags in that incident is pretty um, damning. And what makes Kapler such a big part of it is that when it happened, the family went, approached Kapler about it because he happened to be you know, the man in charge kind of in the umbrella of the Dodgers through the minor league system. So um, he has said that he kind of went up the chain and told the Dodgers, you know, here's what's going on. But it seems like that's not necessarily um, what happened, at least in the timeline that it should have been. Instead of it being immediately, you know, addressed and the focus being on making sure that the, the young woman was okay and that if something happened that the players were dealt with, it seemed like the the Dodgers and Major League Baseball were just trying to pretend that it didn't happen. So um, that's pretty typical, unfortunately, for all of pro sports and all pro sports teams. Um, no, nothing I'm even saying is suggesting that the Dodgers are, uh, you know, the only bad team out there, because clearly the Giants have proven that even with all that um, on Kapler and and therefore Zaidi, because he was part of um, the Dodgers at the time and he was uh, involved in that um, in, in those conversations about um, what we should do and, and all those kind of things um, when he was with the Dodgers at, at the time as well in 2015. So, you know, both are taking a lot of heat right now because, you know, it's a lot, there's a lot been, been reported in the last few months about, you know, here's what really happened and here's what's really going on. And for the Giants to basically look the other way and say, even despite all that, we think this is their, this is our guy. It seems like, not only bad press and PR and, you know, a bad look, but it just it throws into question, you know, what's, what's their focus? Because what happened with Larry Bear last year um, with the incident that got him suspended for a few months is proof to me that the Giants are ultimately going to put what, what they think is the best chance to win over what, what is the right thing to do. Um, you know, Larry Bear, you know, has shown a lot of contrition for what happened with him and his wife in public and got caught on TMZ and, and all that stuff. And there's no proof that that, that has happened other times. So, you know, the fact that it might just be the one incident is one of the reasons that the giants felt compelled to bring him back after the three month suspension that MLB gave him. But here you have last year that happened at the beginning of the year, you had the Charles Johnson, you know, uh, promoting racist, um, uh, you know, uh, um, programming on, on the radio and saying, Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that's where my money went. You know, I'm, I'm not racist. Don't worry. Um, so you've got all this bad PR from, from owners, from people in the front office, and now from this new manager and to go from an era of Bruce Bochy, who's the greatest manager since John McGraw, um, in team history and had all the, you know, all the, the positive PR you could possibly have for any manager, um, 
And to go from that to this just seems like it's a, a not only a huge risk, but it just seems completely unnecessary. There were so many qualified candidates they could have gone with. And to choose um, Kapler just seems like a huge, a huge red flag. Raymond, what are your thoughts? Well, I didn't know about the incident prior to his hire. And, you know, I didn't read some of the articles that you mentioned, Candlestick Will, so I don't know the timeline of how things unfolded and how it went. I just got, I just listened to the press conference and I listened to the, listened to him speak and I heard all the questions and, you know, sure enough, like half the questions had to deal with that incident and the other half had to deal with baseball. No surprise there. Uh, to me, the impression I got was that, you know, the, the, he, he did, he passed up the information up the chain of command as you're supposed to, as to how soon he did that. I don't know. I don't know what the, the limit, the, the time frame was between when these families contacted him directly and when he actually gave it to, uh, gave it to the chain of command. And, but coincidentally, Farhan Zaid was his boss, uh, during that time too. So that was an interesting, uh, dynamic that I didn't know about. I was like, so not only was there this controversy that he was involved with, well, he wasn't directly involved with it. Players were involved with this. Minor leaguers were involved with this. And he was responsible for taking it, taking the information and passing it along. And he did what he was supposed to do according to their statements in the press conference and what other people were saying uh, on the commentary side of things that he did what you're supposed to do in that situation, whether you're supposed to do more and report it and what you not, what not, you know, that I don't know enough about it to comment about it. That to me wasn't the red flag. To me, um, I'm going to stick to baseball in this part because that's what this hire was about. And I hope those victims get justice and seek justice all they want. But as far as the other side of the coin goes, the baseball side of it, to me, I just don't like the hire because I think he's too young. I think he's too inexperienced. And I wanted a catcher. You know, you know who the Phillies hired right after him? They hired Joe Girardi, who hadn't had a losing season in 10 years. I th- well, I think he had one, and he was the only manager to win manager of the year in a losing season. But other than that, he's he's got a winning record, and he's a former catcher. Just because they make the best managers, in my opinion. And I've talked about this a couple times on the show. And so to me, I see a highly analytical guy. Farhan Zaidi is highly analytical. You know, he likes those advanced analytics, which is which baseball greatly leans on these days more more often than it probably should in a lot of cases and that has kind of that kind of hurt him during his stint in Philadelphia and whether he's learned to curb that he said he has in certain regards and to be more and to allow the players a little bit more to let a little bit more instinct come into the decision-making during games and live play versus leaning on analytics and percentage and percentage chance to dictate the chess moves, you know, remains to be seen. And, you know, he said he's going to lean on some of the veteran players to help him understand what the team needs are as far as offense and defense goes. I think from watching these past three seasons, it's pretty evident what the team needs. It's just a matter of whether they can get those players in there. I thought Farhan Zaidi made some good strides on those young players that could develop into the the pieces that we need to fill in those voids. Whether that roster remains the same coming into next year is obviously what we're all kind of interested in seeing unfold because we don't know who's going to stay. I know who I'd like to see go 
and I know who I'd like to see stay and just kind of help provide some veteran presence to help the younger guys transition and become better ball players. Whether that happens or not under Kapler's tenor is just, I just don't know. To me, I just seem, the PR stuff does look bad, but the baseball stuff, to me, that stuff just seems, it just seems very, I guess, it just seems too inexperienced for me. And here's the other thing, too. We went through all these interview processes, and Gabe Kapler didn't get fired and released until October 10th. You know, so October 10th comes around, and then, so to me, it's like, it's almost like he was waiting for that to happen. And he kind of had his eyes set on Kapler from the get-go and was just kind of doing due diligence until Kapler was going to become available. At least, you know, I'm inferring and theorizing. I don't know for sure. I I would have liked to see perhaps a, a bit more of a veteran coach get another shot because we know like sometimes your first stint as a head coach it doesn't work out and sometimes you need a, another go around with a different club to make it happen. We know that Bill Belichick in the NFL was horrible in Cleveland and then he went to New England and the rest was history. We know that Bruce, Bruce Bochy, Bochy was very underwhelming in San Diego and they were you know they were competitive but they didn't do anything. They didn't make any huge milestones there. And it took him to come to San Francisco to really get it under control. Within a couple of years of coming within San Francisco, he started to get things moving in the right direction. So who knows? I could be completely wrong. We could all be wrong. And Gabe Kackler could just have the two years. I mean, he played 500 baseball in Philadelphia. That's not bad for two years in baseball. For your first time as a manager being, you know, heavily analytically driven, you know, you just got to find a balance in the two because it's not, you can't just lean heavily on the analytics to win in baseball. You just can't. You have to have a bridge of instinctual instinctual decision-making along with some of those analytics to help guide those decisions, you know, because it, it's, a, it's a balance of the two. The analytics help you determine what, what decision to make. They don't tell you what decision to make. They just help you determine what's the best decision in, in addition to going with your gut and feeling feeling the players through feeling the pitch count making trying to decide when to pull a pitcher and when not to pull a pitcher when to put another pitcher in when to put a specific pitcher in a specific situation because you know it's a favorable matchup things like that you no know, not all analytics can help you do that but it but it can guide you but to me to me this one's just i don't know it's it wasn't I, I was I was very skeptical going into the hire because I just didn't think there were a lot of great candidates and the one we ended up with was just not even on my radar. Well, you know, he did address that too. He he did address that he felt that that was the biggest lesson he learned right in Philadelphia was, um, you know, he he felt like the he had to he had to figure out how to incorporate analytics with his in-game strategy without eroding the confidence of his players. And he said, sometimes a confident player is a better baseball player. That outweighs the strategic advantage you get of calling just the right pitch at the right time. And we see this as a constant struggle. This is a big thing that happens across baseball. We've seen it We've seen it basically wipe away two World Series opportunities for the Dodgers, much to our, uh, our happiness and much to their chagrin. And um, I, I don't know enough about this guy at all. I do agree that I wanted a catcher as well. Uh, he, was, that, he was an average ball player, but you know, you're, you're, what, what you do in the majors has no indication on how well you're going to manage. You know, A.J. Hinch took the Astros to two World Series, and he was a subpar catcher for the A's. So, so the, I, I, you know, it's, it's hard to put 
much stock into you know his his career as a player. You know, uh, the 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 Yankees manager was a st- was an outstanding player, and ended up being an outstanding manager. But you know, it's 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 just a coin flip. You know, as far as whether that can help him become a better manager or not. You know, and I think the other big part, the other big elephant in the room, which we've we've touched on, but I think probably more than anything, the 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 biggest determining factor of him being on this team is the fact that he worked with Farhan before in L.A. And I think more than anything, that was, you know, it's the devil you know. And uh, I think more than anything, that probably had the biggest impact on his hiring. Again, I'm just hypothesizing. I have no no inside information on to how the inner workings of our baseball club uh, move at this point. But I think more than anything, Farhan's relation, previous relationship with Kapler in Los Angeles pro- probably had the biggest impact on on his hiring. Candlestick Will, any final thoughts before we roll? Yeah, just that is, um, it does feel a little bit like a pendulum because as bad as the Gabe Kapler um, hire looks, the Scott Harris hire actually looks pretty brilliant. Um, oh, yeah, we didn't I, even touch on that. <laughs> I know um, I know that uh, Farhan was trying to get Billy Owens from the A's to come over last year, and when he didn't get him, um, he just decided not to go after anyone else, and I think that that does show that Farhan, you know, and Farhan proved it too when he didn't trade Bumgarner and, and Will Smith at, at the trade deadline, that he's only going to make moves that make sense and he's not going to make a, a panic move just simply because um, he needs to. So he didn't hire a, a less than qualified GM last year when he couldn't get a guy that he really wanted. And then doing this process, trying to get a GM this time around, um, he got you know, rave reviews from Jed Hoyer and Theo Epstein in Chicago about how good Scott Harris is. And, um, you know, he's got a pretty incredible uh, backstory and the fact that he had no connections in baseball, wrote a letter to every single team, then a chance meeting with Al Rosen, who's a Giants legend at this point, um, got him into baseball and he got him an internship with the Nationals. And um, the rest is history. And, you know, his um, his work in Chicago was considered top notch and and so he's you know all of a sudden this 32 year old uh gm kind of returning home you know redwood city uh born and uh and he seems like he'll be a perfect fit and you know i was kind of joking before we jumped on here that if uh if this gabe kapler thing ends up you know blowing up in their face and then it's very possible that farhan and gabe kapler would would be let go the same day and we we have uh Farhan's replacement already on the on the team with with Scott Harris. So, um, you know, not suggesting that that's going to necessarily happen or or that that's going to happen soon. But um, you know, Farhan isn't afraid to bring in great people, and that's a good thing um, because uh, other GMs might have been intimidated to bring in some 32 year old hotshot who looks like the, the the next great hire because it in some ways you're hiring your replacement. Um, but at the same time, if you're comfortable enough in your own decision making and, and your own abilities, you're not afraid to bring in guys who are smarter than you at some things. And with Scott Harris's background, it seems like the things he's been great at um, with the Cubs and other teams is uh, is going to really help the Giants. I'm very excited about that hire, too. The kids seem sharp. Obviously, what the Cubs have done this uh, this decade in the last five years and working under Epstein, Epstein is uh you know, practically the uh, the Jerry West of of, bas- of of baseball at this point. 
he's a legend and uh, his resume speaks for itself and having him come from that tutelage and yeah I was pretty excited I know some people kind of thought the video that they put out on Instagram of him I don't know if you've seen it uh San Francisco Giants some Warriors fans but if you if you haven't seen the video he uh it's really short it's like 30 seconds he just says you know that he's excited and he can't wait to bring I'm paraphrasing like a winning culture back to San Francisco I loved it I watched it like five or six times I was like this gets me hype I loved it what did you think Ray about the video on Instagram of that guy I didn't see it. Oh, you didn't see it? Kettlestick Will, did you see it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it definitely looks like he's a, a kid playing GM. You know? <laughs> he just had Halloween, so, you know, he uh, dressed up in his dad's suit. And, you know, I mean, he's, uh, any, anytime a guy is hired for a job that prestigious and he's younger than us, it's, you know, kind of depressing, right? <laughs> uh, I'm excited about the hire. Raymond, final thoughts on the hire before we roll. We need to get younger. We need to get younger and... I think uh, getting younger on the field is one thing, but also getting younger in the office is is a part of it too. As as much as as much as it seems like something like that would be irrelevant, you'd want someone with more experience. But getting fresh perspective on the front af- front office end of of a sports team is also needed from, especially when you're in a rebuilding phase. In my opinion, yes, absolutely. All right, we will be back later on this week to discuss 49ers and Cardinals. They're coming to Levi Stadium. Cannot wait. We'll get back on our 49ers track, but it was wonderful to talk some Warriors and the new look front office Giants. And hopefully this does lead, gentlemen. Hopefully Who stumble, ho- stumble in their, their first big hire. So, well, well, may, maybe let's say let's say home run with Scott Harris, stumble with Gabe Gabe Kapler. Let's hope it evens out and we we get a we get a decent team out of it. That's that's the hope I think. If he wins, everyone will forget about this. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host Rudy Salisa third, and with me is my brother, my co-host Raymond Salisa first, baby, and our esteemed co-host. Candle, stick, well. Yes. Boom. We'll see you next time. Same gold cast time. Same gold cast channel. This is, is the gold cast.